You're listening to the Intel by Aura podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Intel by Aura podcast series. I'm Hedgie Bartol, and I have a fantastic guest for you this episode. Dave Thompson is the president at Wicklander Zalowski, a consulting and training company on interview and interrogation techniques. And he has over 15 years of investigative and interviewing experience. Now, he puts all that to great use in the curricula he researches and writes for interview and interrogation training for law enforcement and loss prevention professionals. Most importantly, though, he is an avid Buffalo Bills fan. Now, Dave, I'm not really sure how important that is, but hey, you do you, man. Now, in our conversation, we don't talk about the Bills. We talk about what ORC is and what it looks like, how you might handle a potential ORC perpetrator versus a member of staff you suspect of stealing, the power of information why information sharing is, quote, the bottom line, and what retailers can do to better support the efforts of prosecutors. Hello, and welcome to the Intel by Aura, the crime intelligence podcast. I'm here with my good friend, Dave Thompson, because as most of you know, that uh, my name being associated with anything that's a derivation of intelligence doesn't make any sense. That's why I have people like like Dave on board with, from Wicklander Zalowski to actually be the expert and uh, provide us some great insight into ORC. Dave, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Good morning, Hedgie. I don't know if I like having to carry intelligence uh, and being an expert, but at least it's only 18 <laughs> minutes, 20 minutes or so. So I, I think I can hold that bar. You know what? Uh, reach into and pull out your inner actor, and maybe uh, maybe we can make something happen here. So, uh, we're here to talk about ORC, and a lot of people out there in society don't really know what ORC is. Uh, you and I know we live this every day. We're faced with it. We've been talking about ORC for over a decade now. But uh, help the folks out out there understand what is ORC and what does it mean to society. Yeah, I think so. ORC, organized retail crime. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is we're not just talking about shoplifting, right? We're not talking about hedgy walking into a retailer and, and stealing a bottle of fragrance uh, or you know a young kid <laughs> making a, a poor decision and stealing a bracelet. We're talking about a, an organized establishment of, of criminal activity where the product that's being stolen is being stolen with intent to resell and resell in a, at wholesalers online um, or other companies that might actually look like they're selling, you know, accurate, current, profitable, you know, product, uh, legitimate product. Uh, and the, the scary part of ORC is it's it's funding some even scarier criminal activity, right? We're seeing this go to human trafficking and to, um, you know, the illicit drug activity and even overseas for some terrorist activity. So ORC is much bigger than shoplifting and it's a very organized unit. Gotcha. So, you, but you, you touched on something. You said uh, uh, basically going back into sort of the semi-legitimate market. Uh, so you're telling me that some of the storefronts we might see out there are actually, for lack of a better term, a, a fence for ORC, but they look like uh, a legitimate store, a, a, a convenience store, a bodega, a neighborhood, you know, mom and pop shop. Uh, are, are those also aspects of uh, uh, the ORC activity? Yeah, they could be. I think, um, you know, the old adage of it too good to be true, that the same thing should apply to prices of product. So, you know, when you're out buying some kind of brand name product and some companies got it for, you know, 50% cheaper than one of your big you know, name brand companies, you got to think, how did my local convenience store get this at half price versus Walmart and Target and Walgreens and CVS? Um, 
doesn't doesn't mean absolutely it came from theft, but you have to you have to wonder where's that supply chain. So yeah, a lot of these ORC groups um, are able to to repackage, resell, remarket le- legitimate but stolen product. You know, and you bring up a good point. So I actually had a friend of mine. Uh, he's a DIY kind of guy like me, right? I'm, I mean, I'm a hack. I try to do it myself, but usually have to bring in a professional later. But he was talking about the, these various tools that he had bought online for outrageous prices, like unbelievable prices. And I told him, I said, you, you know, you realize that is probably stolen goods. Would you would you say that's that's probably accurate? And do you think that a lot of people uh, maybe are unaware that a lot of the stuff they would get on what we call e fencing or uh, you know some of your your uh, marketplace websites would be you know stolen goods and a way for the criminals to to get their product and get their back in the market and get their their money? I think yeah, and what what you're describing is what makes it so difficult to prosecute and to investigate because with the ability of online sales, you've got you've got any regular consumer who's got a bunch of old clothes and handbags and shoes that's going to resell brand name product perfectly legitimate. You've also got groups of people that are creating and selling counterfeit product. And then you also have groups of people that are selling stolen product and they all on the surface might look the same, but it's no longer just going to your, your local flea market or swap meet. It's, you know, Poshmark, Facebook marketplace, Craigslist, eBay, uh, that still have the ability to sell product, but, a lot's legitimate. So it's trying to differentiate between the two is difficult for a consumer and equally difficult for law enforcement. Yeah. I, I guess if there's an individual that's selling 300 packs of uh, razor blades, they probably didn't receive those as a gift and are trying to unload them. Uh, most likely they right. probably unless, came from unless they've got source. a beard and yeah, yeah, exactly. And they don't, you know, when they're, when they're looking as, uh, as grisly as yourself, you know, maybe you don't want those razor blades anymore. Right. Um, you know, but it's it's interesting because I, I heard somebody uh, they made a, a comment at a trade show uh, several years ago, and they said that before the uh, the advent of things like eBay and Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist and stuff like that, the only way for ORC or or the the uh, career criminals to sell their goods was essentially you know out of a van in a back alley, and the average individual is not very likely to uh, to pursue buying stuff out of the back of a van in a back alley. And so the criminals were getting, you know, maybe 10 cents on the dollar on their stolen goods. But then you have, you know, what seemed like, and what in many cases is a legitimate, uh, marketplace online. They take advantage of this. And now the average individual is like, Hey, I just found something on online for 10% off of what I would ordinarily pay. So now instead of making 10 cents on the dollar, they're making 90 cents on the dollar or even more. And the average consumer feels like I just did a legitimate transaction. I didn't do anything wrong. And, and so, you know, you're right. It's, it's, and it's very difficult to discover that and uncover that. Uh, and I know there's some, uh, some acts out there that are, they're helping with that. I think it's called the inform act. Um, and I, I believe there's one, is it called pro act? Uh, it's some tool that retailers have access to, to be able to identify their, their stolen goods through eBay and, and the like. Right. Yeah. And I think what we just said is, is important, right? The margin is higher uh, now for, for stolen product because they can sell it online. Uh, you do have a lot of re- uh, online retailers and now legislation looking to try to create exception reporting, like what we're used to from, you know, cash refund reports in a, in a brick and mortar store, but, you know, exception reporting for, 
how many how many transactions has a seller conducted and what type of product are they selling in a, in a short time frame and so you know that's what the average consumer can look at look at a look at a seller's history look at what else that they have to offer are they are they selling one Gucci handbag or have they sold 500 in the last <laughs> in the last 6 years all right and that can help you understand what's going on there Absolutely. So let's take a different tack here for a minute. So uh, obviously with what you guys do at uh, Wicklander-Zalowski, WZ, um, whatever the, uh, the the current appropriate uh, reference is for your organization, um, you guys help the retailers and law enforcement with uh, identifying what is truly happening, getting the truth out in, a, in an interview uh, with, the, uh, 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 I want to use the correct term, a, an alleged uh, member of ORC or an alleged shoplifter. Um, now I realize that when you're talking to, you know, maybe uh, a store associate that uh, you suspect might be doing illicit activity, uh, versus someone that you believe may be involved in ORC, there's gotta be a difference in how you interact and how you interview these people. Talk about that a little bit of it. How, how would it differ if I have what I believe is a suspected member of ORC in front of me versus one of my store associates that I think might've been doing some, uh, you know, hanky credit cards or sweethearting. Mm-hmm. There's there's quite a few differences. So we can we can kind of talk through a few of these, but you know, high level when you think about it, one is uh, preparation, right, or investigation. Uh, with an with an employee, you've probably had the access to information. You've been investigating for for months. You're familiar with the person, maybe, uh, and you you conduct that interview, and you've got a, a solid investigation. And sometimes in the ORC world, uh, it may be dependent on their timing, right? It's it's more of a real time. Uh, interview that's happening live. Uh, it may be a, a investigation that's a little sporadic or circumstantial. Um, so we can talk about that because I think that's where data sharing is really, really important. But the other couple quick differences is uh, the way the interview starts. If you think about with an employee, if you know, if Hedge, if you you worked at, at, at our company and I need to talk to you about something, it wouldn't be abnormal to bring you into a, a room and have a conversation with you. So it's it's easy to manage that very non-confrontational with an ORC subject. A lot of these interviews are happening after somebody was apprehended for theft, maybe in the back of a, of a patrol car, maybe at a police station. Uh, they might be over the phone. They might only be five minutes. The subject might be in custody. So there's this added element of need for developing rapport and showing empathy and trying to de-escalate the, the, the situation. And so we can kind of dig in, dig into those two, but uh, I think that first piece of preparation is is really important. Interesting, yeah. And I remember you were uh, you kind of used the analogy of um, if I know what you're wanting to talk to me about, like if I get pulled over by a police officer and I know that I was speeding, I'm assuming he's going to ask me about the speeding I was just doing. But if he walks up and ignores the, the, the elephant in the room of my, my speeding at that moment and says, I want to talk to you about that time you ran a stop sign. You know, that affects the, the whole conversation. It makes me wonder, well, what, what else does he know? Is it, would you say, you know, having that, because you talked about preparation, having that information and that background about everything else that has occurred becomes a very valuable tool in your, in, in your interview. Information is power, right? And, and, you know, we leverage, technology all the time in the investigative world and people sometimes uh, underestimate the power of the interview and, and a conversation with somebody. So yeah, I mean, if if a shoplifter is walking out of a store with a, 
a bag of, you know, 30 bottles of fragrances and they get approached, their assumption, like anybody would be, all you know about is the 30 bottles of fragrance. Uh, they don't have any confidence that you as the investigator know that they were at your store a week ago, that they were at your neighboring store two weeks ago, that they have an online presence. They don't know you know any of that. And so there's this balance of establishing credibility without revealing all of your evidence, right? We don't like to just, just display it all. But I think when it when it comes to information- You want to keep some of the cards close you, to your chest, right? You, you, you have to, right? Because it, it actually minimizes your credibility when you start to reveal evidence and it contaminates the potential confession. But the, when you think about that piece, you know, again, back to this employee comparison, if I have an employee, they work for my company, you know, my team, my store, I know pretty much their, their scope of what they're involved in. If I'm dealing with an ORC subject, they're probably hitting 20 other retailers, maybe in my regional, regional area. And so this is where it's unique that if, if I work for a big box retailer, am I talking to four other big box retailers? Am I talking to the, the C stores? Am I talking to um, all these different, you know, online outlets so that I can connect the dots. And so when I bring Hedgie in for a conversation, maybe this is the first time you've stolen from me, but I know that you drove a, a red minivan when you hit Home Depot the other day. And I know you were with two other people when you went to Lowe's the other day. And I have this intelligence to bring into the interview now, which establishes credibility for me. Absolutely. That, that's really interesting. So, you know, you, you mentioned multiple retailers, right? Uh, and and I having that information that you were at Lowe's, you were at Home Depot, you were at CVS, you were at Target, you were, right? Uh, so in that regard, how important do you feel it is for retailers uh, and law enforcement to be sharing information uh, or sharing information may sound uh, uh, too open, collaborate. How important is it for them to collaborate with one another in order to pursue what may appear to be an ORC event? I think that is the, that is the bottom line. Meaning if you have, you can have technology, you can have great interviews, you can have all these great tools. uh, But if you're not collaborating with this kind of, triad, right? All the retailers, the, uh, the law enforcement, you know, officers on the ground, and then the prosecutors, you're not going to be able to close an organized retail crime case. What you will do if you don't share or collaborate is you're going to apprehend a shoplifter in your store, and then they're just going to find a new shoplifter to come in three weeks from now to do the same thing for the same fencing organization. You're just going to be on this kind of hamster wheel and sort of really make an impact uh, collaboration is really important. And there's there's so many success stories. The retailers that we've kind of mentioned throughout the call have great teams that do exactly that, right? They're, they're great collaborators. They work really well with their law enforcement partners and with each other. And that's when you see these these cases get solved. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And, you know, I was actually just this week, I was at a, a town hall with the Loss Prevention Foundation. They put it on uh, much, you know, much like this whole collaboration, information sharing, best practice sharing discussion. And it was a full day of this. And it was really insightful. And, you know, they, they discussed the, the, the need to collaborate, the need to share. Uh, but then there was also a, a couple comments about, you know, there is hesitation. Uh, you know, when we were at RELA, they talked about how important it is to collaborate and share information. They talked about how that's happening more in the industry uh, with law enforcement as well as other retailers. But then at the same time, retailers will say, well, I'm not allowed to share any information. And we got onto that, that, that discussion about sharing the information and how, oh, we have to be careful, you know, and it's, it's, it's uh, very tenuous and so forth. And the question was asked, 
what information could you be gathering on an on an event on a crime that could be regarded as private or personal or sensitive uh, and be dangerous to share. And quite honestly, no one really had an answer to that. But it's more a matter of, well, our general counsel says we can't. And so, and I'll ask a follow-up on this. So in your opinion, do you see any potential information that a retailer might gather that would be sensitive for sharing? I think this is my non-attorney cap, so um, I'll, I'll give you that disclaimer. <laughs> but in, but in my experience, I wear that, I think I wear that hat a lot. It, it, yeah, yeah. But it's in my experience of dealing with that, it's been less about the information and more about uh, the accuracy of the information and the way that it's that it's framed. Right when you have assumptions being made. Uh, and you have people that take circumstantial information and it kind of translates to absolute information, you know, the, the, uh, somebody putting their own perspective on that is a problem, but, but strict data, it's just, here's a license plate, here's an image and here's what the, you know, here's what the person did. Uh, but making sure here's what the person did is, is factual and truthful. But I honestly had you, the bigger thing is it's happening anyway. And this is what, um, I experienced, you know, when I was in the retail field, you know, finding out that my team is good. They're you, they were using group me and WhatsApp or whatever other kind of platform to share information informally. That is as a leader, if I know it's going to happen, I'd rather be able to regulate, control it, put some, you know, SOP in place. So I know how it's being shared and how I can look at it if needed. So I think for the leaders that are watching, um, partner with other retailers that have gotten that approved and you've got some good proof of concept and for the people who are watching that are are sharing information without approval partner with your supervisor to make sure that there's probably a better way there is a better way to do that absolutely and that's that's one of the things i've discovered too is a lot of the retailers that say we don't share we can't share my people aren't allowed to share the reality is it is happening and it's just happening sort of offline right on the side and so you can't monitor that. You can't track it. You can't audit it. You can't make sure that it's being done appropriately and, uh, you know, it, within the parameters that your general counsel might have set forth. So, um, so that, you know, I, I, I think it's very important. And, and I do, I am encouraged because I do see more retailers that are working together. They're working together with law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement is actually very engaged. Uh, there has been legislation passed that says that if, you know, it, it, it kind of circumvents the whole threshold of whether it's considered misdemeanor or felony, where it, basically the legislation says if it can be identified as an ORC event, ORC activity, and, and defined as such, then it becomes a felony, regardless of the threshold, uh, which I think is very encouraging because you know it's it's that network, it's that uh, that that criminal enterprise that is causing the problem, not the individual that's stealing the stuff. It's the criminal enterprise that we want to stop and bring down. Um, so, you know, we're kind of running close on time here. Um, what can retailers do to support uh, the efforts of prosecution and basically provide them the right sort of case or evidence or, or information in order for them to have something they can pursue and they, they have the appetite to pursue? Yeah, I think two quick things for that. Uh, number one, from an interview standpoint, so we have to get away from a confession being our, our only or primary goal of an interview. 
right? If we need to, if we talk to a shoplifter just to get them to tell us I did it or an organized retail crime subject, I did it. That's, that's not expanding information. So when we look at it in an ORC interview, we need to look at the scope of, you know, how, what's their geographic coverage? How do they recruit and train people? Where are they fencing product? Uh, what areas have they also committed this crime in? You've got a lot of states that even if I just transported that stolen product through a county, that might be, there might be a charge within that county, which might, you might have a better relationship or more evidence in different jurisdictions. And so the interview, getting away from a confession and trying to build information is important. These, are, these cases take, take time. And so having patience to do it the right way. And then the second piece, uh, don't just call your, your prosecutor when you need them. Uh, don't just call you know, law enforcement when you need them. What are you doing as, as outreach to help support and see what can you do to help them, right? Let them know you have these resources. There's a lot of retailers that have better camera equipment than any of the law enforcement you know, technology that's in that jurisdiction. Can you help them? Um, are you are you meeting with your you know law enforcement partners on a routine basis just to just to check in? Are you inviting them to as simple as this sounds friends and family events that you have uh, at a retailer? Is, is there things that you're doing as outreach? Because if you're always just calling for a favor, you know we know how that goes. So it's it's about partnership. And then the last thing is knowing knowing that the officer, detective, or the prosecutor what they need in order to charge a case. Uh, if if you can supply them with information that's actionable, it's a lot lot more likely to get return on that investment versus calling them for every kind of petty issue and hoping that they're going to go solve the case for you. So just be aware of the resources and the difference there. But partnership is really the key word of this whole conversation um, and getting away from confession seeking and getting towards this you know rapport building information seeking approach. All right. You, so you just had several light bulbs just went off in my head. You know, of course, they're like more like Christmas tree lights than actual light bulbs. But uh, that you, that was very interesting to, to think that you've got to shift your focus as an interviewer that has basically probably spent the majority of your career getting confessions. Right. That That's your goal of the of the interview is to get a confession. And you're absolutely right. Just getting a, a booster to say, yeah, I stole it. Arrest me, you know, and I'll, I'll pay a fine and whatever. Uh, help does not help at all. But now the goal is instead of I'm trying to get a confession is I'm trying to get more intelligence. I'm trying to get more information that will help me further this case and make it more of an ORC. Help me bring down the fence. Help me bring down the people that are really causing the problem. Uh, that was fascinating. Um, and the law enforcement partnership, huge piece. Uh, Clear, the coalition of law enforcement and retail is doing a great job of building that bridge between the retailers and their law enforcement partners. I love the concept of taking it beyond the whole, hey, we're helping each other catch bad guys, but more a matter of we're helping each other in our communities that we serve. And we want to be, we want you to be a part of our family and we want to help support your family as well. That was awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I, I think it- you know, yeah, Clear does a great job. These regional ORC groups that are out there, I know you, you or I do a ton of work with these local groups. It, it incredible. And if you can't, if you're not involved, get involved. Um, we've had the opportunity and I personally have had the chance to speak at a ton of these regional ORC, these ORCAs, and they do such a great job of, of encouraging networking. They have monthly Intel sharing meetings. Uh, they use platforms like yours. And it's it's just really beneficial when people can get together and talk about it. So I think that's that's important. And my, my last thing from an interviewing standpoint to build on this you know, fact gathering piece, 
if somebody just says I did it, what was the purpose of the interview? Honestly, right? You've, we've got, we know that they did it. And even if it's something as simple as I just, during the interview, found out the type of vehicle they drive or that they went to one other retailer, that one additional detail can be enough to connect the dots to a much, a much bigger investigation that somebody else has been working on. So that's a success, right? Actionable intelligence is a successful interview. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much for being here on the Intel by Aura, the crime intelligence podcast. Uh, anyone who would like to subscribe or hear more, feel free to visit us at www.aura.co. That's A-U-R-O-R.co. And uh, hopefully we'll be hearing more from my friend Dave Thompson. Oh, and one last shameless plug. If you are a member of an Orca in the U.S., we actually let you guys use a portion of our software for free. And you have the ability to start to collaborate and work with the other members of the Orca throughout the organization. So we're happy to help you out with that. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody.